Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health with another interview uh, to help get you updated on this COVID-19 epidemic. And we have a repeat guest, Brian Hoyer, who is one of the primary consultants in my new book, EMF. And we've had a lot of questions about the possible causal connection between this COVID-19 pandemic or planned-demic, as some like to call it, and 5G implementation. So uh, we're going to have a good time discussing this. A lot of interesting information out there. Uh, Let's just to let you know before we start, this is being recorded on the last day of March, March 31st, the day before April Fools. So some of the statistics that will be cited here are current as of this date, of course, and uh, they're going to change by the time this gets uh, broadcast, which will be a little over, uh, let's see, less than two weeks, hopefully, but somewhere in that time frame. So uh, please excuse any discrepancies that occur in that time, but you can go to our site uh, at mercola.com and look at the uh, blog that we have, which literally we go through dozens, if not hundreds of articles every day to comb out the best information for you on the the pandemic and put it up there. So you can go there anytime. We have a new link up there too, which shows the current stats. So you can see in real time what the numbers are and keep updated on this. So with all that introduction, welcome and thank you for joining us today, Brian. Yeah, it's great to be here again. There's a lot that's been going on. It's crazy to think. I never would have thought even just a month ago that we would be where we are today in this country and the, the entire world. That, that is a severe understatement. There's no question. Uh, I don't think life will likely ever be quite the same again. Uh, and no one knows and can predict what life will look like, but I just don't think it's going to be the same. I think change is one thing we can be certain of in our, in our life, but uh, this is going to be change on steroids for sure. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So uh, what are, uh, now I guess, there's so many different ways we can go about this, but uh, I think it's best to establish a framework that the connection between the virus and 5G in some ways is a moot issue, in some ways it's not, but it really is tangential to what you need to do now to protect yourself and your family. And it's nice to know because if the connection is true, then there are some strategies you're gonna wanna implement, which we'll discuss to protect yourself in the future. But right now, I mean, it's, it's almost uh, an intellectual a- exercise to do this, but I think it's an important exercise. So uh, let me tell you why it's important. Because at the frame, as I said, we're recording this on March 31st, but most of the people who come down and pass from this epidemic 
are elderly. Uh, we don't have, the, at least I don't have access at this point to the statistics, primarily in the U.S., which is, of course, the largest country in the world with epidemics. That could not, could maybe untrue because China seems to have stopped reporting numbers. They've been stuck at 82,000 for the last 10 days and has been increased, which I doubt that is true. So either they stopped testing or stopped reporting or both. So, but anyway, in China, 80% of the people who passed were over 60. And in Italy, it was 80% were over 70. So you got 10 to 15% of the ones who passed away were under 50. So it's primarily a disease that affects the elderly, but it affects the, when it, when it does impact, it seems to be impacting people more aggressively than influenza and it lasts longer. So there is a, 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 a an enhanced virulence to this infection for some reason that we don't know, but it appears to be the observation, but still the numbers aren't that large. And um, last week, Anthony Fauci, the, uh, the coronavirus czar in the US, uh, published a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine with some other uh, experts stating that the mortality rate was not 3%. It was probably close to 0.1%, which is the mortality rate we see in flu. So a lot of the alarm and panic uh, that the media is producing seems to be excessive. And my concern about this is that, and the, the reaction that the government has implemented with all these self-quarantined, uh, landlocked, not landlocked, but isolation, individuals to shut down the economy and put tens of millions of people into the unemployment lines could have, not could, more than likely will have massive consequences in our psychological health. Uh, it, it is highly probable that there will be far more people dying from suicide, from the depression that's created from the economic collapse that's coming, that the inevitable collapse, there's just no way around. You cannot shut down the economy, put everyone at home and expect things to go back to normal. It's not. It is just not. So that seems to be the sad inevitability of this. So that's, you know, with that framework, it does make this discussion on 5G seem somewhat of a, a small issue. But as, as I said, I, I believe it's an important one because we need to understand some of the variables that contribute to this. And I don't think there's anyone better qualified uh, that I know of, of course, I'm biased to discuss it than the both of us, because you're one of the experts in the shield in the shielding and really have got this is your full time gig. And I've got a passion about it also and wrote a whole book on it, it took three years to write the book. And uh, I believe as many have also told me that it's probably the best book out there right now. But there's another good one that we're going to talk about by Arthur Furstenberg, who's a physician who wrote The Invisible Rainbow that has some of the primary basics to as that serves as a foundation for this discussion yeah definitely so you can take it from there i'm just, i normally don't have this much of a preamble but uh i thought it was important to frame it yeah definitely so yeah arthur furstenberg's uh book the invisible rainbow he catalogs a lot of the epidemiological evidence of uh the electrification of the world and uh afterwards sickness happening, uh, namely the flu viruses and, and various viruses over the course of history. So the, the big one in there that's been cited out on the internet about um, you know, possible connection to 5G is, is, okay, you go back to 1918 when the Spanish flu went around the world, 
And that was when the first radio telegraphs were more widely used. And you see the Spanish flu popping up all over the world doesn't seem to be popping up in, in a way that we're passing it from person to person, but you know, one side of the world to the other side of the world very quickly. And you know, today, we wouldn't know if that's happening just because of the way that we travel uh, so frequently. And uh, you know, there's a lot of theories also out there about how viruses actually transmit from person to person. And we kind of live in this uh, Louis Pasteurian world where everything is about the virus, the pathogen, and less and less of what we're talking about is the terrain and the health of the individual. Now, that said, what we have is uh, probably the most unhealthy population <laughs> in, in, the, in the history of mankind. You could, you could consider it that as far as chronic uh, conditions and those, those types of things. But um, we also have more sterility, more uh, you know, practices of separation and uh, you know, decontamination and, and all of those things better than ever before. So why is this virus spreading what, for what seems like so rapidly? I believe it has to be the terrain of the individual and also environmental stressors uh, that, are, that are out there that are kind of creating this perfect storm where a virus has an easy way to get into the body and can actually reproduce uh, uh, on the cellular level inside of the human body, which is really kind of how viruses work. They don't it's not the same as bacteria. I think a lot of people have that false sense that a virus is just a smaller version of a bacteria. And I'm sure you could go into, into that in a little more detail so that people understand that. Well, what I like to go into more detail is, is what uh, Arthur Furstenberg wrote in his book. Um, I read his book twice and he was actually one of the reviewers for my book too, as you were. And he gave me some useful feedback, uh, but he brings up this concept that there is a connection between EMF and this viral infection, the influenza. And this, this connection existed far before the advent and introduction of man-made EMFs, which probably happened in very small quantities in the late 18th century. Um, but he describes something called the Maunder Minimum, which lasted from 1645 to 1715. And uh, essentially this was an area where the sun was very quiet, had no uh, sunspots. And then 1727, the sunspot number increased to over 100 for the first time in over a century. Now I know this is his ancient history, but it's important to understand that because in 1728, the influenza arrived in waves over the entire planet and it was the first flu pandemic in almost 150 years. So this is the first hint, at least historically, that there's a connection between MS because in the solar flare, you're going to have increased radiation. And we'll get into the details of what that radiation looks like. So it goes on even further because then the next major pandemic was in 1889. Uh, and the interesting part of this, which you mentioned, but isn't is intuitively obvious, is that this infection was 
established pretty much all at once. It didn't travel. Like in, in this current epidemic, it appears that it started in Wuhan, and we'll discuss some of the 5G connections there, but it started in Wuhan, and then they, they didn't put restrictions on travelers. They sent out 5 million people all over the world and contaminated the whole world. Well, this 1889 epidemic existed far before we had the ability to travel very fast or far. I mean, it was basically... You had horses and maybe some trains back then, but you could not travel very far in one day. And yet, and let me just going to cite this from his book. Um, the pandemic began in a number of widely scattered parts of the world. Disease would have had to travel faster than trains and ships of the time. It reached Moscow and St. Petersburg the third or fourth week of October. But by then, it had already been imported in South Africa, Scotland, Canada, Cairo, Paris, and Berlin. So it hit all at once. And it, interestingly, in 1889, they, uh, he describes it as the power line harmonics is what they began. Uh, and that really changed the Earth's magnetic fields and, and allowed this uh, ushering in of this 1889 pandemic. And then you mentioned the Spanish flu of 1918, which is a similar scenario where they said this massive, it, it traveled far more rapidly than, than it, it could have uh, by the, the normal transportation means at the time. And interestingly, in 1918, that's when the radio era began. So there appears to be a connection there. Uh, and so I just thought that was, you know, tying it all together, it le leads us to believe there may be a connection here. And, and his book was written a few years ago. So obviously, and he, and he mentions 5G in, in, in it, actually, especially the revised version of the book. But we just don't know. And I actually haven't had a chance to discuss him. I actually, I think he seems to be somewhat adverse to electronic communication, I think, because of his, he's EMF sensitive, I believe, and, and may have some restrictions that way. But I'd like to get him on and interview him on this too. But it does provide a foundational understanding that there may be a connection here and that when, that, that is, is essentially making us more susceptible and sensitive to this. And then by introduction of these 5G frequencies, might have been the final straw. We just don't know. Now, all, all of this, of course, is speculation. We have no s specific studies to prove this, but just trying to put the pieces of this crazy puzzle together. Yeah, well, and we learn from past data that we have. And unfortunately, we're, we're kind of living as epidemiological evidence in real time right now. And we can see some of the patterns and, and things that are happening now that have never happened before. But, you know, we have, you know, we deal with a lot of people who are electrosensitive. And one of the things that they even report is when there's lightning storms and there's flashes of lightning, that creates a radio frequency. And they feel sick during lightning storms, like with influenza type of symptoms. And it's called microwave sickness in the literature. So, you know, a lot of people call it um, electromagnetic hypersensitivity or they're electrosensitive, but in a lot of the literature, you have to look up microwave sickness and look up the history of that. And then you'll find uh, these references to when storms come, when solar flares are, are active, people are getting more and more symptoms. Depression is a huge thing that happens when, uh, when there's uh, so more solar radiation and also during like the full moon even. And so there's a lot of natural uh, electromagnetic radiation that happens, uh, most of that is gradual, but with the RF lightning pulses, those are, those are definitely pulsed uh, phenomenon. And, and then in the first- What are the frequencies of that, those pulses? Uh, there's- Gigahertz or no, it's probably megahertz or kilohertz. 
Yeah, I think it's in the kilohertz range. Okay. Uh, but it, it varies, you know, depending on the location and and the the type of it's never just the same frequency it's always different all the lightning is different lengths and mm -hmm. and everything but um you can actually pick it up the crackling of that on a rf meter if you happen to be in a lightning storm you can you'll actually hear it when the lightning goes off and if you have a really sensitive meter you can also when you turn on and off light switches you can hear the arcing and there's a rf that that uh, transmits out from that arcing that happens. So um, every yeah, type what, of- uh, What are the frequencies for the solar flares? The solar flares, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I know, I know that uh, we're, we're getting, you can, it can affect all types of electronics uh, and it can cause electromagnetic interference. And that is technically in the kilohertz to megahertz range. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh yeah i have never actually measured it I, i'm really kind of excited to, when there is a solar flare to turn on all of my equipment and uh and see what starts crackling around yeah i think the summary of that is that there these natural exposures appear to have some influence on our biology so it wouldn't be too hard to imagine that when we enhance and increase and radically and exponentially increase these exposures through man-made methods that there would be some biological consequences yeah definitely and the the more natural exposures we have are usually temporary or uh or even analog you know i mean flowing in one direction and they're not a pulsation that happens and one thing that's interesting is that um in Furstenberg's book Furstenberg's book he also talks about how in the beginning they actually were experimenting on people giving them like some kind of thrill from slightly electrocuting them. And then the, the 18th, symptoms in the that, 18th century. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the symptoms that come later are, are a lot of these flu symptoms and things like that as well. So, you know, and on this low level, we're all surrounded by this 50 or 60 Hertz electricity that's pulsing us all the time. And that's actually modulated at 50 or 60 Hertz. And so we're always pulsing at that if we don't live, live or sleep in a shielded space. And then we also have all of the RF, whether it's an analog RF signal from a radio station or a pulsed RF signal, doesn't matter. Uh, you still have the modulation happening at the 50 or 60 hertz. And a lot of times I wonder, okay, what would a real study look like if you have the 50, 60 hertz modulation and the RF and, and everything? Because usually in a lot of these studies, they're just testing one thing in a controlled environment. They're never testing the entire soup that we're, we're uh, constantly bathed in as human beings. We're, we're the big experiment here, and they're just testing one thing at a time in this uh, Western medicine type of fashion with all, with all these studies that they're doing. Yeah, and I, su <clears throat> I suspect that's an issue also. At least I'm personally curious of these, th these young individuals who became sick and died which is very atypical this just typically doesn't occur in the flu so i am confident that virtually no one is examining their emf exposures but that could be the hidden variable that, that accounts for this i mean these these in specific these individuals may have had extraordinary emf exposures we don't know because no one's looking yeah and you know one thing that's interesting that i was reading is that uh you know this this virus is affecting the older population we know that um and the average person i think over 60 how many medications are they on compared to the younger people 
And then how many medications is, are doctors and nurses on or, or these other people that, uh, these younger people that, that uh, passed away, how many medications were they on? And, you know, there's a, I think I saw an article on your website about the Motrin and ibuprofen. Oh, yes. That's, it was, and, we just recently posted that from MedCrim. It was largely debunking the myth that you need to be taking these antipyretics or fever redu reduction agents to improve your health. And it's like the worst thing you can do. Right. And so I think, you know, modern medicine, they're really good at prescribing, but not so good at navigating the side effects and the physiological effects that are happening, especially when it comes to this other, con this contagion that uh, we're being influxed in with the, that they don't know much about the, about the mechanisms behind it and the interactions with the, with the different drugs that they're prescribing people. And there's a lot of people in the, um, a lot of doctors in the clinical setting that are in the field saying, I noticed this pattern and these people were on ibuprofen that were younger that passed away. And then there's, and then, and then all the media jumps on that and they say, Oh, well, there's no studies that, sh that are showing this, but we have clinical evidence from doctors in the field that are, that are showing this very thing. Like when did that become, not valuable. That's always been something that's valuable, uh, you know, in, in my understanding is when a, when a doctor is finding something, especially amidst a pandemic, when things are so important to move fast and try to understand things better, uh, you need to be listening to the, those people that are in the field treating patients. Yeah, case reports is key. And just to be clear, there are no double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized studies of COVID-19 at this point. I'm sure some are in process right now, will be published, but most likely won't be till later this year or even a year or two years down the road. So there's, there's a value for doing that work, but it does take time. Yeah, definitely. And you know, hopefully we'll be able to get some more studies on the EMF side too and, and uh, understand that. Unlikely. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there are some, uh, you know, doctors out there that have, you know, that understand EMF and mm -hmm. they also have uh, chronically ill patients and they're, they're trying to understand the mechanism be mechanisms behind this and they're understanding a little more how uh, EMF is impacting this particular virus. So uh, Dr. Klinghardt and Dr. Schaffner at the Sophia Health Institute, they, you know, they put on several different webinars on this for their for their patients and people that are fo that follow their work and uh they talk a lot about and i had to write this down the nl nlrp3 inflammasome right that causes uh can cause lung injury and the and is connected to the cytokine storm mm -hmm. and how vitamin c melatonin and humming which produces nitric oxide when you hum on the exhale, uh, that all helps to reduce and calm down that inflammasome. And so the nitric oxide is key here when we're talking about EMF because of the connection to perioxynitrite. Yes, indeed. Yeah, the NRLP inflammasome is sort of the, the bad equivalent of NRF2 pathway. It's just this massive transcription part of factor for the bad guys like uh, TNF alpha and uh, beta beta uh, TNF beta TNF beta uh, no TNF alpha anyway there's a variety of cytokines and cytokines are messaging signaling molecules 
that activate these these inflammatory pathways that uh, especially the the ones when you have massive activation which seems to be the one of the major variables that leads to the the terminal event in COVID-19 is this massive cytokine storm where this pathway is is activated so those are good strategies to know um, do you have any other comments on how the exposures to EMF might contribute to that? Yeah, so, I mean, when we're talking about the voltage-gated calcium ion channels, the calcium influx into the cell, um, it's, you know, the nitric oxide pathway. Um, if, if you have EMF exposure and there's superoxide there and nitric oxide, it's going to use that up to create the perioxynitrite. And so there's no more nitric oxide present to defend you against the virus is, is how I'm understanding it. And, uh, you know, that if we have this chronic exposure, um, it's also raising your stress levels, your cortisol. It, it, you know, I've seen it in real time in, in real life actually like raise people's stress levels. And anytime that happens, it suppresses your immune system because you're trying to deal with this other, uh, stressor that's present and your body is still trying to figure out how to, how to do that. And, and so when we are exposed to EMF, uh, even on a basic level, if you don't know much about this, you're just watching this for the coronavirus, just thinking about the way that electricity impacts the body and contracts your muscles, um, it can cause muscle contraction, helps you, it, it makes you uh, lose magnesium and your calcium contracts your muscles. So when that, when that happens, it can raise your cortisol levels and your cortisol is your stress hormones. So um, any raise in stress or rise in stress uh, suppresses the immune system uh, when it's a, a bad type of stress that your body is perceiving. And so, you know, that's just more fuel for the fire to kind of put some shame on the media for causing all of this fear and anxiety that's going on because people are really stressed out. I just took mm -hmm. my daughter to Costco the other day and we had a, we had a very strict personality enforcing the social distancing rule. I was like literally 20 feet away. What state is this? What state? I'm in California right now uh, visiting oh. my parents. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he, I was 20 feet away. I go, beyond the line just to put my few items on the belt there. And he's like, get back behind the line, sir. And, and uh, my daughter's with me and I'm like, I'm at least six feet away from her. It's, it, I'm a good social distance. And I guess, you know, the, the cashier that was uh, with the guy uh, partnered up with me. He's like, sorry, I got a watchdog here. So uh, it's just insane. And I was telling my daughter when we were in, we were at a Sprouts, uh, a little farmer's market natural food store that we have here in California. And I was just telling her, look, the world's changed. Um, you know, every single flu season from now on, I think that people are just going to be scared of each other. And, uh, and we're, they're going to keep that distance. There's always going to be that thing. Remember the coronavirus, remember this. And I told her like, like a month ago, we were able to be next to people, talk to them, be friendly. And there wasn't this fear. And, people are so, you know, they have so much anxiety over this that it's insane. And, and I'm trying to teach her that, that look at the world, it's, it's fundamentally changed now. And, uh, you know, 
she understands, she's understanding more about EMF and stuff. I have four kids. So she's my oldest daughter. She's 10. I have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and then a newborn that was born February 15th, right before all this stuff went down. And then we traveled all the way across the country when this was happening. So kind of have a different perspective of, uh, of everything that's been going on as we've been traveling and seeing how the different states are handling things, but also been testing a lot of EMF along the way and, uh, and really not noticing too much that's different, but the stress levels of the people, it's just, I, I never thought that, that uh, television could have so much control. Well, they thought about it. You know, as I, I replied earlier, this is, I refer as many to as the plandemic. Uh, this, that they're using this as an opportunity for, for creating fear and implementing more totalitarian regimes and, and depriving us of our personal liberties and freedom in an effort, you know, to and collapse the economy, to acquire the assets and the wealth of the country. So it's a sad and tragic event that's happening. And the fear that's resulting is, I'm convinced is going to cause more physiological damage and, and consequences than this, than the viral infection ever would, because you got to think about it. I mean, we were designed to be exposed to these and I've referred and discussed the, the epidemics the flu epidemics we've had before. And we've, we've had even worse epidemics. We've got the bubonic plague, which literally has taken out. That is a true pandemic bubonic plague. We're looking at killing nearly half of the world's population. Half the world of the population died. You know, this is like third, fourth century, and then again in the tenth uh, or eleventh century. So, 40, 50 million people, which was, you know, half. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people today, any day, any time. But it was, it was almost the majority of the world's population. So we were not even close. To, we are so far under one percent. You'd have to. We've had three thousand deaths. Out of 7 billion, you do the numbers. I mean, it is way beyond the lower than 1%. It's probably less than one-tenth of one-tenth of 1%. So it's this extraordinary small number. We're, we're designed to be exposed to these. And yes, when you have 7 billion people, there's going to be some people who pass away from it. But that's the normal part of living. And likely as a result of many of the lifestyle choices they're making or EMF exposures they have, we don't know. But certainly if they have these other associated diseases like heart disease or obesity or diabetes, that's going to predispose them to becoming sick. So the key is to get as healthy as you can. And then when you're exposed to these diseases, they actually are the best possible vaccination you could ever hope for because it will give you lifelong immunity with no residual consequences, assuming you survive the infection, of course. Because obviously, if you don't, then that's a pretty bad side effect. But most people will survive and they will have permanent immunity, permanent immunity. Right. Unlike the, the vaccine, which is being fast tracked with and abandoning all safety precautions to the wind. And if they get this thing implemented, I'm sure will will cause enormous disabilities and premature deaths as a result of implementing this. There's just no way around it because they're dropping all caution to the wind. So the best way to do that is to stay healthy and get exposed to the infection. Like we used to do when I was growing up, we had chicken pox parties and you know, the parents would bring all the kids over and everyone would get infected and then you'd be immunized for the rest of your life. Yep. Yeah. And you know, when this is all over, the new narrative is going to be, well, what would have happened if we didn't take the measures that we, that we took and and that's, you know, and that's going to be, and what would have happened if we didn't develop this vaccine and 
you know, we can't say, well, we don't know uh, because maybe nothing would have happened and then you guys would have felt pretty, <laughs> pretty unintelligent. Well, uh, there's no question. I mean, we see what happened, what's happening with the measures. And yes, there are more people dying. Interestingly, and I'm not sure why at this point, why New York has the preponderance of cases. I mean, it used to be Seattle, which was, you know, you spent a lot of time there, but now it's New York has probably over one third of the deaths, uh, which is really kind of surprising. I don't think it's because they're testing anymore. I think that, I mean, they're really causing enormous strain on their healthcare system there. But for whatever reason, it just seems to be affecting a, a few isolated areas. And Italy, it wasn't the entire country that was being uh, devastated. It was just these few local isolated cases, not cases, but locations. So, yeah. um, but people don't hear that. They just think the whole country's in, up in ruins and it's not. Yeah. And, you know, we can kind of move from that to start talking about 5G really easily yes, because- yeah, which is the intention of this and, the, and really why I think many people wanted to come to listen because there are a lot of people talking about 5G and I'm gonna have a video here below and I'm sure you've seen it with Tom Cowan who discussed, did an excellent video. It was widely circulated uh, and I love Tom. I've interviewed him many times, he's a friend and uh, uh, appreciate his, his compiling that, but that generated a lot of interest in this connection between 5G and this infection. Yeah, I, I actually tested Tom's house and I met him and his wife in, uh, in the Bay Area there. They're very nice. He's very top-notch um, doctor. He's on the cutting edge. And so, yeah, in that video, he talks about Wuhan as you know, the, one of the testing grounds for 5G, where 5G was first implemented in China widespread. And what's interesting about Italy, which is the country that everyone's talking about now after China became Italy was the focus and it still is the focus for many, uh, many people in this discussion is that uh, Milan, where it's in the Lombardy area of Italy, that's where two thirds of the cases uh, are, are in Italy. And, uh, and that is considered the 5G capital of the European Union, according to Vodafone, which is the big 5G carrier out there. There's Vodafone and TIM, Tim, I'm not sure what they call it out there, but uh, I, know, I just know because I, I was trying to look and see if there was any correlations. And if you, they even have a 5G map. If you go on Vodafone's uh, website, you can see the 5G map and it's like, sprinkled throughout all of Milan and, uh, and Lombardy, that province of, up there. And uh, so that is definitely a more concentrated area. And then on top of that, you have all of the, um, the older population in Italy and people that are likely, you know, fully buying into the Western medicine and they're on like, you know, 10 to 12 medications, that sort, those sorts of things. And uh, the way that all of those medications are interacting combined with the 5G stress and the electromagnetic stress, I think it's no wonder everyone's immune system is suppressed and they're so susceptible. It's the terrain that's the problem, the environmental stress. And, uh, you know, and we can actually kind of control that uh, ourselves, getting off of our phones and, uh, and, you know, working to shield our environment will help to strengthen our immune system. And then taking some of these strategies that I'm sure you have some articles on your website on some supplements you can take to help boost your immune system and dial down that NLRP3 inflammasome response. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but the 
So there's the 5G place in Milan, there's Wuhan, and New York City is one of the highest, most intense areas that I've seen, and Seattle. Um, and then for there's 5G? Los Angeles. For 5G? Uh, for 5G, I'm sure, uh, but you know, 5G, it doesn't matter as much to me. It's, it's about the intensity. New intensity York was, the EMF, yes. Yeah, the EMF. So New York is basically as intense as a 5G area already on its own before 5G was implemented anywhere. Okay. In my opinion, um, you know, it, it maxes out all of our meters wherever we go. They're hidden antennas everywhere in New York City. <laughs> and you've been there a number of times. Measure me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so is that the same for Seattle too? Real high concentration because you would. It's not as densely populated as New York. No, it's not. But they have uh, they have a lot of hills in the city, and right on Queen Anne, there's two huge radio towers with uh, with probably a hundred antennas on them just blasting the whole city. Um, and so we've had, you know, assessments there where we've maxed out things and even shielded rooms upstairs and it's still maxed out. And we, so we have to do a complete, uh, you know, covering of the floor and the ceiling and the walls and be really strict about how we're doing the shielding over the windows so that everything is sealed almost perfectly like a true perfect Faraday cage. Most homes, we don't have to do an absolutely perfect Faraday cage uh, with all the electrical connections and no gaps whatsoever. We can dial it down to where the levels are low enough, but in places where it's really intense, we have to kind of use some different strategies in order to make it so that there's absolutely no gaps because even a little bit will let in like, it's kind of like holding up a dam of EMF uh, radiation. <laughs> And it like one little crack just goes, it just seeps through and, and just totally, you know, ruins, ruins uh, pretty much what you've done. Usually it'll lower the levels no matter what, but um, the exponential pressure of all that EMF radiation that can leak in through just a tiny hole is, is really important in those more saturated areas. Wow, that is just fascinating. I hadn't realized and never put it together because it, it's not intuitive, you know, to connect Seattle and, and New York, but you've been there both times and you can recognize that they have a really high concentration of EMF there, that this may be the hidden variable that no one's discussing or very few people are discussing that's contributing to the reason why so many people got sick there because it's the straw that literally the straw that broke the camel's back or the, you know, the, the back of the immune system of those who are passing away from this illness. Yeah. And it's, you know, some people watching this to be like, oh, it's EMF is, is the cause of everything. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's, it's, uh, it's definitely, like you said, the straw that broke the camel's back. It's something that definitely weakens our immune systems. Dr. Martin Paul's research shows a mechanism, one mechanism for how that happens. And there's multiple mechanisms that likely haven't even been studied. Uh, we know how electric the body is. I mean, the heart, communicates with the brain through an electromagnetic pulse that's been proven with the heart math studies that's very interesting if you've ever uh if you guys want to look into it look at heart math studies um you can uh put that into your favorite search engine and, <laughs> not google not google and you can search search for that and it'll it'll come up with some fascinating articles on there that you can read about how electric the body is and how you know, we physiologically uh, depend on these different voltage changes in order for uh, our body to function optimally. And, you know, just to think that, you know, there's people out there that believe this environment we've created does not affect us. It's, 
insane when you start to read some of these studies about how our body uses voltage to heal and to function. Yes. So let's talk about some strategies. Um, we've had a lot on the site and I'm actually in the process of creating a video that should be aired before this one on using sauna and then also using nebulized hydrogen peroxide as a treatment. But even more basic than that, last week I interviewed Dr. Levy, who's going to, his interview will be on the week before yours. And we just, he wrote the book about magnesium. And we discussed vitamin C in that, of course, too, because he also wrote books on that. And he also wrote a book about calcium. So the interesting supplement, actually my favorite supplement of all, really, and especially particularly useful for this, is molecular hydrogen as a tablet, because you can get molecular hydrogen in a wide variety of different ways. But my favorite is as a tablet, because the tablets are made out of metallic magnesium. And metallic magnesium, when you put it in water, dissociates into magnesium ions, not a salt, not like magnesium oxide or magnesium 3 and 8. It's just simple, pure magnesium, which doesn't cause a have a laxative effect, and molecular hydrogen gas, both of which are extraordinarily, extraordinarily useful for mitigating the negative effects and impacts of EMF. Uh, and I think almost everyone would benefit them. And the beautiful thing about molecular hydrogen is that it's a selective antioxidant. And by that, I mean, unlike most traditional antioxidants, which, which uh, indiscriminately reduce pretty much most free radicals, there are some free radicals that are beneficial, things like nitric oxide that you mentioned earlier is a free radical, and you need that to actually combat these infections. I mean, there's been, a, there's some interesting studies that which we'll probably have time to discuss about nitric oxide and SARS-CoV-1, uh, mm -hmm. which showed that it was radically useful in treating that infection. Now, I don't think there's been any studies with COP2, but uh, the, so, so molecular hydrogen just will help activate the endogenous antioxidants to, to reduce the damage from the NRLP3 inflammasome activation. So, and then the magnesium will act as a calcium channel blocker, which helps mitigate the damage from the EMF exposure. So it helps in so many different ways. I think it's one of the, the best strategies to be taken regularly during this epidemic is you know, one or two taps. You don't have to take it like every hour. In fact, you, it's something that you only take once a day, maybe twice a day if you have a big exposure, but no more than that. Uh, and you, you pulse and cycle it because they've done studies where they show that individuals who would consume it like regularly, like breathing hydrogen gas all day long or giving it to animals, it doesn't seem to work. You need to pulse it to get the benefit because there needs to be a change in the, in the concentration. So one of my best recommendations on that is, is, is the other is, just, is, uh, is the molecular hydrogen tablets. But I'm sure you've got some too. And, and uh, we should discuss some of the, the best strategies you have for lowering our exposure because, yeah, magnesium molecular hydrogen is useful when you're exposed. And many times you don't have a choice, especially if you're going out and work and you're in the environment, but many people are not doing that now. So they hopefully will have an opportunity to have at least a, a lowered exposure on a regular basis and you can help guide them how to do that. And it's in the book too. Right. And we have a free, just before you go on to this, we have a free chapter from the book that you can get at emf.mercola.com, which summarizes most of the major recommendations that you went over through with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, definitely. So right before our trip across the country, 
I actually stocked up and I saw that you had relatively new hydrogen tablet product here. And it's actually less expensive than a lot of the other options that are out, that are out there. Mm -hmm. So this is what I've been given to my family, what we've been using while we're on the road. Um, also on the road, we, when we were traveling, we built a little shielded trailer and it was like a six by eight trailer. Um, it was already metal. I had to do some shielding on the bottom of the undercarriage and we'd been traveling in that all across the country. So we, as we were traveling, the kids and me and my wife were shielded. Uh, so that's very important to, if you can, to, uh, to get at least your bedroom shielded so that you have that repair time at night, which we talked about on our previous interview and we go into a lot more detail on that. When you were traveling, is that the room you all were sleeping in? Yeah, yeah, we, it's little tiny thing. I, I built a little bunk bed. We just basically have just enough room to sleep in there and it was all shielded and we put Kurt shielded uh, our shielding fabric over the, the windows and, uh, and it was, you know, we slept better in there than we were when we, when we moved into my parents' uh, guest bedroom. So we're going to actually be shielding that next week. I'm going to, I'm bringing some of the shielding paint in and we're going to be uh, doing that and I'll finally shoot my own video on how to shield a room properly. Good. So um, we don't have to use gigahertz, not gigahertz, um, geovitals videos. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll have, I'll have some good videos on that online on how to do it properly and, uh, and some easy tips and things like that. Um, but beyond just, you know, taking on this big project, I mean, really, it makes a lot of sense. A lot of people are at home right now. You guys have time to do this. Uh, you know, our, our company, we stocked up on shielding paint before all this stuff started, so we don't have to import it anymore. Um, but uh, we, you know, it'd be a good time to, to take on a project like that. But beyond that, things you can do right now is get off of this thing, your cell phone. Your cell phone is, you know, a walking cell phone tower. And I always have mine on airplane mode and I, try, and I have a adapter that I can plug into this to update all my apps, like in the morning when I want, want updates that only come to my phone. Ideally, I'd love well, to get rid let's of just stop, Let's just stop there. Excuse me for interrupting, but that adapter is a key point. And I just only recently realized how simple it is. You have an iPhone, right? I have actually an Android phone. Oh, yeah. you're going to want to switch that, sir, because Android is Google. So yeah. with, with, with your iPhone, you just need a Thunderbolt to Ethernet connection, and that's all you need. And, and as soon as you plug it in, this magically appears before your Wi-Fi and, and your uh, general I think it's your general icon, settings, general, settings, and it, Ethernet peers up, and you're connected like instantly without turning your phone on. It's in airplane mode. It's just mad. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. And for for people that are like, oh, I have to check my to see if I got a text message or or these apps or or whatever, anything you're using. Our team uses. We used WhatsApp for a while until I found out that it was owned by Facebook, and now we switched yeah. to Signal app which is a, a messaging system that's uh, that's private that actually Edward Snowden recommends. Mm, and good. so, and so that's, that's like a, the most secure messaging app that I, that I've seen out there. And in these times, I mean, things are uncertain. People might call me a conspiracy theorist a little bit or whatever, but you know, I think it's, it's needed, especially with the work that we do. We're just trying to be careful with, with my team and everything. Well, but, uh, th there's a book written by Shoshana Zopoff, Zopoff, I think. Surveillance capitalism. We did an, an article on that long ago, and she goes into great detail. It's 500 pages without the references, and 
documents what these companies are doing, the entire sordid history of Google and Facebook and, and how they're not only uh, surveilling you, but taking that data and manipulating your behavior. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that I'm very passionate about is, you know, privacy, uh, property rights, and, um, you know, personal responsibility and personal liberties. And uh, I, I think it's very, it's more important now than ever to, to kind of, for us to all kind of band together and stick up for each other's rights and our, our freedoms and our liberties in this day and age. And even with EMF, you know, often people will be like, well, how do I get my neighbor to stop using their Wi-Fi? I've often purported like, well, it really what it is, is it should be a property rights issue. Their signal is coming into your property and affecting your property. It should be a, something that's protected under our constitution to not have to, just like a person can't pollute, shouldn't be able to pollute and, and that come onto your property. They shouldn't be able to have Wi-Fi or a, or a signal that's coming on to your, into your home and affecting your health. So that's kind of a little bit of a tangent from, from what I really kind of want to get into with this. And uh, I really like to provide some practical solutions for people here too. Uh, but I think that's an important thing to, to, you know, intellectual exercise to, to think about as we're dealing with a lot of these topics. Yes, indeed. No question about it. And you in, implementing some of these strategies can be a bit challenging, especially if you're overwhelmed, uh, with, and you've got a lot of fear going on because of these other issues. So you have a company, uh, called Shielded Healing, which is the name right behind your head. And uh, actually um, trained a number of people who, to your skill level of expertise, then go out and do consults at people's homes because, and then help you implement the strategies, like the, like the painting and doing the measuring to see if the implementation was done correctly so that you, in fact, are properly shielded. Because the, the key thing is, one of the most important ones is to, is to sleep in a pretty much EMF-free environment so your body can rest and recover and hopefully, we don't know this because there hasn't been studies, but there's strong suggestions that then when you are exposed to the EMFs, it may be a hormetic stressor that will actually make you healthier and not sicker. So uh, at least there's a potential chance. And if you don't have that opportunity to recover, it's never going to happen. We know that. If you're exposed continuously, it's good, good luck. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, a lot of people that are not reacting to these frequencies right now, uh, just so you know, uh, most of the people I've talked to who are electrosensitive, it just happened overnight, just bam. All of a sudden they were sensitive. They couldn't find out what was wrong. They had to go to every doctor and all the doctors thought they were crazy. And then they kind of uh, whittled it down to, okay, it's these electronics or this, this frequency or whenever this Wi-Fi is on or, or my cell phone or I go through uh, a section of town. I'm driving through a section of town where I lose signal and my cell phone ramps up. I start to get heart palpitations or there's or headaches or, or ringing in the ears. There's all kinds of symptoms that people are getting from this. And uh, it's, it's something where, yeah, if you sleep in a shielded space, you have that, that time when your body is supposed to be in a parasympathetic state, you're supposed to be repairing and healing and rejuvenating. That's the time eight hours every night where you can have that healing therapy and your brain will detox, all your lymphatics will flow. That's kind of like the, the talk that I give everyone about this ancestral healing environment that we wanna create in the bedroom. And then during the day, 
your body can handle more stress unless you're already electrosensitive and your body needs to do more repair. If that's the case, then you really need to uh, implement some other strategies and be working with a, a physician or a, a health practitioner that can walk you through how to make your body less EMF sensitive. And there are strategies to do that. It involves a lot of detox of, of different heavy metals. And, you know, it's this entire load that, that happens. There's a, there's, a, there's, chemical, there's a chemical load. There's a heavy metal load. Um, there's all types of stressors that we need to reduce to, to make a person less electrosensitive. And, uh, you know, we're getting more and more sensitive as a species. And eventually we're, we're hitting a tipping point here, uh, perhaps, once you add a virus that we've never had exposure to before that's created a so-called pandemic uh, in the population. And you wonder, is, is this the tipping point? Not necessarily 5G, is, is this virus and this even 4G the tipping point? I wonder about that. I know that 5G is adding more uh, saturation of these frequencies but we really need to get to a point where we kind of understand at least in the bedroom, we need to be shielded. And then when we go beyond that, if you're still reacting to things, you have to do some work. And it's, it's not e always easy. Sometimes people get these symptoms after shielding and they think that it is, and this is very rare by the way, like maybe one in a hundred people that do the shielding um, it's usually someone who's very sensitive. They actually have a Herxheimer reaction to the shielding. And what, what happens is your body finally has the chance to rest and recover. And then the symptoms come out. I had one uh, client who, who said that uh, they actually had mold visibly sweating out of their body after they shielded their room. And they thought that it was a bad thing. I was like, no, that's good that you're your body is actually letting go of mold through your pores. That means that it, that it was able to let go of that and finally get it out somehow. And so, um, but people don't really, you know, on a general level, many people don't understand how the body works. When you have a fever, it's good. Your, your immune system is much more active and able to deal with any pathogen when you have a fever. And so supporting that uh, is, is very important. And, I'll tell a quick story about how when we left home, uh, right before we left on, on our trip to come out to the West Coast, uh, we, uh, we got sick. I think I might have had the coronavirus, <laughs> uh, but I, I had a fever. I was totally fatigued for 24 hours. Dry cough? What, what's that? Dry cough? Yeah, dry cough, and it turned into like more congestion later on. And what I did was I... I over that 24 hour period, I, I did about two to three hours of near infrared sauna therapy, uh, raised my temperature and just sweated like crazy. And then I got into like a hot Epsom salt bath, cold shower first, then hot Epsom salt bath, back into the sauna, repeat, repeated that process. And that made a huge difference. And I recovered very quickly. Now, all of my kids, except for my, my newborn and my wife, got this, got this illness. And, uh, now are permanent, and now are permanently immunized. And now are permanently immunized, if that was, in fact, the, the coronavirus. But um, I was 
you know, there's a lecture that I listened to by Dr. Klinghart and Dr. Christine Schaffner, and they talked about how they pointed this study, and I don't have it, I wish I had it, I can maybe give it to you later, so you can have it in the notes or whatever, but how after a woman gives birth, my wife gave birth on February 15th, we got sick like two days after. Mm -hmm. uh, the melatonin in a pregnant woman uh, in the third trimester is extremely high. And then the baby, the melatonin is through the roof, like two mm -hmm. or three times, yes. I guess, more than, than a normal adult. And that's why babies sleep so much, <laughs> uh, apparently. But that is so protective against that NLRP3 uh, inflammasome pathway uh, that they were basically immune from it because of the melatonin, the high levels of melatonin. But also I had my wife after the birth, I had her on high dose proteolytic enzymes to help kind of repair some of the scar tissues and things like that. And I know that that can also help break up uh, fibrin that the viruses kind of like to hide in and surround which themselves ones did with. You, which ones did you use? Uh, I used Biotics Research Intenzyme Forte were the okay, ones that I used. One. I, li I like lumbral kinase. It's probably the most potent fibrinolytic enzyme, maybe 30 times more potent than natokinase, which is mm. good by itself. But yeah, so lumbral kinase is a good one. Maybe and less expensive than Intenzyme Forte. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I wanted to emphasize two points when you are, what, you, what you were just saying. Uh, one that are related to our last discussion and question and answer interview that we had. And one is in the shielded bedroom, which you're recommending. There are a number of people who are concerned, I think rightfully so, believing that sh by shielding it, you would block the Schumann resonances. And Schumann resonances are healing frequencies from the earth that are normal, but they're at very low frequency, typically below 10 hertz cycles per second. Uh, and what you, uh, you can expand on that, but you basically said the shielding doesn't block those frequencies because it comes right through, just like butter, uh, through a hot knife through butter rather. So, and then the other point is that, and it's especially pertinent to this discussion, and then you can comment on both top points, but is that it may not be so much the 5G frequencies and the actual higher frequency range that it has, but it may just be the additional burden of, of, of EMF dosage that's the issue because you alluded to the fact that actually the lower Gs, like the, the, your portable phone at 900 megahertz is probably a far more dangerous frequency than even the 4G phones and probably the 5G. So can you comment on that and the Schumann resonances? Yeah, so in, in our previous interview, I even had a little demonstration set up where you could see we just had an FM radio uh, that also has an AM setting. And in a Faraday cage, the FM radio is completely blocked. That's the megahertz range from like 70 megahertz up to 110 megahertz uh, is a rough range of FM radio. So it completely blocks those higher frequency megahertz range. And then you can turn on the AM radio, put it in the same exact enclosure and it gets a little quieter, but you can hear it plain as day. Uh, and that's in the kilohertz range, which is uh, amplitudes uh, less of a frequency. So the, the lower frequencies can go through very easily compared to the, the higher frequencies. So we can actually target specific frequencies that we want to block based on how close together 
the, uh, the shielding materials are. That's why the paint has a higher shielding capability against 5G than uh, a lot of the fabrics that are, that are on the market that are out there. Um, but the fabrics are blocking probably 99% of the frequencies that, that we're exposed to. Uh, and, and a lot of the people equate 5G with millimeter waves. That's absolutely not the case, uh, in my opinion, and what I've tested and also what I've read about the frequencies that are, that are going out there. We've actually had frequencies all the way up to 23.5 gigahertz with uh, 3G and 4G uh, as backhaul transmitters. Satellite TV is 12 to 18 gigahertz. Uh, the 5G frequencies they're going to be using or are using in some areas are point-to-point -point communication right now or in densely like stadiums and densely like like uh, town squares where there's dense, densely populated areas uh, where they might want to use a higher frequency to get that. But it's a line of sight and it's laser pointed. I had a meter that measured uh, millimeter waves and I took it to Los Angeles and Austin, Texas, and I didn't detect anything in, in Austin where 5G was live. Um, in Los Angeles, there were some neighborhoods where I barely detected uh, something, uh, you know, but I had to point the antenna directly, my receiver directly at the antenna to, to get it. If I was a, like, even a centimeter off, I, I would not detect it. And so those things are like laser pointed, uh, frequencies from what I can tell with the testing that I, that I did. And most of the 5g frequencies that we're being, being exposed to are, um, are going to be below six gigahertz. That's what's going to be communicating with our devices. If you choose to get a 5G device, which I would recommend not to do that uh, to support the industry or or anything like that, but um, we we have much more saturation in like in Houston. There's 3.5 gigahertz on every telephone pole. That's a higher frequency than 2.4, so it's faster. Five gigahertz on your router is faster. Um, some people report more symptoms from five gigahertz router versus 2.4 and vice versa. It seems to be frequency dependent. And it, what's interesting is the lower the frequency, like down to like 60, 50 or 60 megahertz, the more it resonates with the human body and the size of the human body, you're getting in around 60 to 80 megahertz range. That's about six foot. And that's what your body will resonate with. So on any meter uh, where I measure this, I, I measure it with a real-time spectrum analyzer and you can actually uh, see the rise in your using your body as an antenna much more from about 60 megahertz all the way up to around 900, sometimes in up to 1500, you can still see this more antenna effect on the body but the higher frequencies don't resonate as much with the conductance of the skin. So your skin does provide a slight Faraday cage against the higher frequencies, but these lower frequencies definitely penetrate in and including T-Mobile's uh, 600 megahertz 5G frequency, which goes further and travels uh, and can penetrate deeper into tissue and, and through forests and everything. Yeah, so the, the, the lower the frequencies are a little more dangerous because they're more biologically conductive. They're uncoupled and getting into your body and causing their pernicious effects. Interesting, I didn't realize that the uh, 
AM frequencies came through the shielding material for the, the, the paint, uh, because I, I, I actually used the meter, the new meter I got from you, uh, mm -hmm. that can measure the, the, uh, the flicker. And it yeah. can also measure the, um, the radio frequencies. And I noticed that I was picking up AM signals in my Faraday cage bedroom. So, I mean, it was much weaker, but you could still get it. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it was, oh man, I can't wait to come back to, to double check this. I probably got a leak somewhere, but it, that, it, that's what you'd predict. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would predict. And it's, you know, blocking the bulk of the, the frequencies is really kind of what we're going for with it. And also relying on the clinical evidence of people seeing results with it. And uh, we're going to have some exposure uh, this day and age, no matter what. Uh, the goal is to really block the bulk of what the stressor is so your body can have this baseline of, okay, now I feel safe. It's okay to go into repair mode. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some debate on whether the body can adapt to, to this environment. I don't think we, we can adapt quickly enough to uh, the EMF environment that we've created, but uh, there is some adaptation needed by us through lifestyle habits and uh, supplements and different superfoods and, and diet strategies and timing of our eating mm -hmm. that can really, really make a huge impact on, on the metabolic processes in the body and how our body, because everything in the body is, is related to timing. Uh, the circadian clocks, the, the, the rising of the sun, the setting of the sun. And if you can get into a routine, your body starts to learn that routine time and time again. In, in studies on circadian biology, you see that. And so if, if you can get to where your body starts to understand that, okay, at this time, there's going to be a little higher stress. So I need to start producing more of this or that hormone, uh, you know, then you can get into that routine and your body is prepared for it. Um, there's interesting similar phenomenon that happens when you get up in the morning and you're exposed to daytime uh, UV, like morning time UV light, where if you're exposed to this morning time UV light, your body ramps up the production of antioxidants in order to prepare for sun exposure later in the day. And, and they've actually have studies that show that uh, you'll get less sunburning because of that uh, daytime, the morning exposure to, to sunlight helps your body to tolerate more UV radiation later in the day. So, you know, think about that in terms of, okay, how do I like operate in, in this electromagnetic environment? Well, sunlight and infrared light and the things that we've had ancestrally are so important to continue to do because our biology is dependent on that. And getting into this rhythm is so, so important uh, that so that your body can get used to what you're being exposed to. Yes. So let's finish up on the 5G by commenting on the uh, satellite distribution, primarily through Starlink, but Amazon's also doing it. And I think OneWeb was, but they just declared bankruptcy the last few days. So they had you know, 100, 200 satellites up there. Uh, SpaceX has uh, 400 at this time, but they have permission or process of obtaining permission for 42,000 satellites, uh, which is a low Earth orbiting satellite, usually 100, 200 miles up. 
uh, as opposed to 2,000 miles, which is a traditional satellite, usually in geostationary orbit. So why don't you talk about those, frequent, those frequencies and implementation and how it's going to increase the total EMF exposure that we have over the entire planet? Because this is not yet, because I think just because of the nature of the implementation, it's going to start in the northern latitudes first and then work its way down. So down here in Florida, we won't get it for a while, probably not this year. But in the northern U.S., that will be available early, later this year. Yeah, so... Uh, SpaceX has, like you said, about 400 satellites up, and that was the number that Elon Musk uh, wanted to start implementing and turning on and testing uh, the network. Um, so that could turn on at any time. So those of us out there who are electrosensitive, just kind of be paying attention to that and reading the, reading the news on that. Um, like you said, Amazon has uh, petitions, maybe even possibly started sending satellites, I don't know. Uh, Facebook has a petition, and then there's uh, companies in the UK and Canada that also have petitions to put up satellites. So it's not just SpaceX. There's other companies out there looking to kind of jump on the bandwagon there. But um, with SpaceX, uh, they're looking at doing 42,000 satellites. Uh, they just got approved by the government for 1 million antennas on the ground. And that is to work with the satellites. That is what I'm more, much more concerned about than the stuff beaming down from above. Uh, yeah, why? It's closer. Um, in order for, you know, we're going to have a... These are receivers, I'm assuming receivers slash antennas. Yeah, yeah. They look like little spaceships. Okay. And, uh, and, and they're apparently very easy to install. You just plug it and point it at the sky uh so and they're supposed to be you know they're going to be putting those in consumers hands so that you can have the have the internet you know everywhere at high but, speed i mean it's it's gigabit service i believe isn't it yeah so from the satellites uh it's 14 to 14.5 gigahertz coming down and then the satellite will be receiving that and then communicating uh i think transmitting out to each other 10.7 to 12.7 gigahertz uh, but from that to your device i don't think they have uh, a published frequency range to what what your device is going to be using as it's because yeah, usually the, the device will emit a signal as well uh, to connect with the with the tower yeah but so, the, band, the bandwidth will be about a gigahertz gigabyte at least should yeah it should be in the gigahertz range for sure well a gigabyte is the measure of data yeah yeah no frequency but uh and very few people have gigabyte service i mean you it's something you have it, it's available to some but it's a bit pricey i think i have 250 mega 250 gig uh megabytes uh interestingly i had 150 and then uh because everyone is at home now the services and uh, have started to drop because more people are using the bandwidth. So like companies like Netflix and Amazon and YouTube, they've, they've actually lowered the, the data or the, the resolution of, of their videos to compensate for that. But my, my bandwidth had decreased to 25 megs from 150. And I was saying, Oh my gosh. And then my internet went out on Saturday for two wow. hours. I said, Oh my gosh. So I didn't get nervous or upset. And then it came on two hours later. And it went to 250 megs. They, they literally doubled it with no charge. Never even told me. So it's great. Wow. 
Yeah, 25 yeah. is like DSL levels. Like Yeah, but it was down. Years ago. It was, yeah, it was really 25. I said, you know, that would not be good if, you, if you're, you know, trying to run a business on 25 megs. I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, it's a first world problem. I mean, people in third world don't even have like one or two megs. But it's still, uh, you know, this, it's become a, lot, a really important strategy. So the other point I wanted to discuss, and I'm not sure if you had a chance to look into, was the new bill that, as we're discussing this, was passed last week, federal legislation, to en uh, enhance the recovery or limit the damage to the economy. And part of that package was a stimulus. And I don't know the details. I know all I know was part of the plan of that package was to accelerate 5G adoption. So I'm wondering if you've been able to find anything out about that. I looked briefly um, at that. I didn't see anything about that in the, about that stimulus package in the, the first bill. I think there probably was some legislation in there for that. Uh, I did read something about um, in future stimulus packages, they're go definitely going to be implementing more of that. Like, like they have different phases of, of the legislation for, that relate to 5G and uh you know part of phase two or phase four i don't know what phase they're on but is is definitely including that extra pork for 5g and in, in inside the bills uh for that so uh i do seem to remember something in the first stimulus package about 5g and there's confirmed uh news stories out there about uh different companies installing 5g right now while this whole pandemic is going on uh, uh, go up in the middle of the night start working on it when nobody's watching and then there's an antenna and they can hide these antennas all, all different sorts of places so yeah there's one video circling around i watched this morning that uh had someone in texas school system saying they were using the closing of the schools as opportunities to install the 5g systems within the schools and hide it under the guise of sanitation so i don't know if that's true or not i haven't had an opportunity to to bet it but you know that, that that type of information is circulating around yeah so my my biggest source of accurate information on that is uh daphna Tackover. oh she's uh, great yeah yeah with we are the evidence mm -hmm. um she she gives our team uh, updates every other month on what's going on and uh, one thing that she talked about is how the wireless industry is now actually targeting schools for cell phone towers uh, on purpose so that there's not correlation found with cancer clusters and <laughs> the which is an old tactic I mean, used not, by, it shouldn't be laughed at but it's just it's so it's such tragedy i mean it's a, a tragic commentary on what they're doing yeah so the the governor of california has issued you know there's reports that he has issued like uh um some orders to like, yes, let's, let's use this time to build our infrastructure in the California school system. And I, there was a one school in Ripon, California that had a cell phone tower on it. And it's, it kind of got some popular uh, news. Uh, if, if you just look up Ripon, California cell phone tower, you'll, you'll find that. But I actually was, what's that? How do you spell it? R-I-P-P-E-N? R-I-P-O-N. Oh, R-I-P-O-N. Okay. And that's like about 15 miles from where my parents live here in Modesto, California. And I actually, uh, I think it was three or four years ago, I was the first one to test that cell phone tower for these concerned parents that had these uh, had children with diagnosed cancer. 
and uh, I did assessments for like two or three of the kids' houses, and and uh, the school was, you know, that cell phone tower was definitely impacting the school environment. There were some things that were happening at home too, but uh, you know, the chronic exposure all day long while you're at school working, and then out at recess, like like line of sight exposure to this cell phone tower is is just insane. The numbers that we are getting over there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty confident, as I mentioned in my book, that, you know, in a number of decades down the road, later this century, we're going to be looking back at this experience as a really massive height of ignorance about this issue. And how could we possibly expose our children and our entire population to this type of threat, biological threat? It's just that we're in the, the ignorance phase at this point, for the most part, and it's facilitated by large amounts of revenue being generated to the wireless industry. And, you know, this latest example of acquiring yet more federal funding from the government, the taxpayers, essentially, to, to implement their infrastructure. I mean, this that money could be spent to implement fiber. You don't need wireless for, I mean, for most applications, fiber is more than fine. And really part of the solution to shield yourself and your family is to operate out of a fiber, you yeah. know, a wire. Well, there's no reason we can't do that and then use infrared technology indoors to have really high speed information that's a lot less biologically active. And in many ways, because of our uh, blue light environment indoors could actually be beneficial, hmm. just like a lot of these. Uh, is, that line of, is, is that line of sight? So if you, if you have a physical object or barrier in between, would you lose the connection? Yeah, so just like uh, the infrared remote controls, if you have something in front of the, the sensor, it's going to block that. Uh, but, you know, there's systems out there for, uh, for wireless sound uh, audio that are infrared. Uh, a lot of people that have the television seats on their, mm -hmm. on their, in their cars, they have headphones that are, use infrared wirelessly to connect. And they have some of those products on, on Amazon too. Um, you know, so if you don't want to use wires, you know, you can, you can use some other technology. It's out there, but it's really hard to find that. It's, it's kind yeah. of rare right yeah, now. And it, it's such a classic example. There are biologically safe, acceptable solutions that aren't extraordinarily expensive. They're just not recognized as being important and necessary, but it is available. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, though, the only caution I would say with that is that, you know, the modulation of the infrared could, could be studied more in depth so you could find something that's not going to be flickering because flicker, even if we can't yeah. perceive that infrared, uh, you know, I've, I've tested it on, I showed it on that last interview, I showed it on my phone, how it's flickering infrared all the time and it was bouncing around my room. I did not like that happening. So I decided to stop that, you know, by, facing my phone down so that there wasn't light flickering all of my room, invisible light that I couldn't even see. No. But um, regardless, you know, if you're using a photobiomodulation device that's based on LEDs, it's going to be flickering at 60 Hertz, most likely. And that is seen as something that's beneficial in many ways, depending, I think it's depending on the timing that you use it, it can. So mm -hmm. if you can use something that's more analog that doesn't flicker like a Full yeah, spectrum incandescent, really that's the, great. That's fine details. I mean, the comparison of the damage from a 60 hertz LED near infrared or infrared signal, I mean, is, is like probably 
orders of magnitude, like one-tenth of one-tenth of one percent as bad as these other frequency exposures. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, it's not perfect, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a matter of, of a risk to risk to reward ratio. So it's acceptable. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Well, anything else you've called together to share with us? Well, let's talk a little more about these satellites because okay. um, I think a lot of people are very concerned. I almost see this apocalyptic look on people's faces when we talk about this, the Starlink and the, the satellites coming from above, like we're not going to be protected at all. It's just going to be everywhere. Well, I think that's true, but um, even the, the satellite dishes that we have uh, for television and, and cable, you have to have a dish that collects that signal and concentrates it up. So they're actually really pretty weak signals coming from above. It's not like they're completely blasting you with like a laser beam mm -hmm. um, down. Uh, but like I was saying, the million antennas on the ground, that's what I'm much more concerned about. And then the devices that we ha that are us and our neighbors have, um, those are very concerning. And if you have a metal roof, that's going to protect you somewhat from a lot of the different frequencies that are beaming down. We already have frequencies beaming down at us, just not, you know, 42,000 <laughs> satellites coming down, which, you know, I am concerned about the chronic lower exposure of that frequency across the board for sure. But um, to think that that's worse than the stuff they're putting on the ground, I don't think that's the case. I'm much more concerned about the stuff that's, that's way closer to us. Yeah. Yeah, for, thankfully I'm one of the people that have a metal roof. Yeah, I think this is really one of the best roofs you can get. Um, it probably lasts well over 50 years, maybe even 100 years. If there's, there's not much maintenance on it, it's about one third the the weight of a traditional stone roof. So, right. Yeah, it's a much safer roof, fireproof essentially too. Um, right. So this has been great. Anything Anything else you'd like to add? I think that's pretty much pretty much it. I mean, I I think that uh, this uh, this whole thing that we're going through as a country is sad. Um, my heart goes out to the people that have been affected by the virus for sure. And you know, it kind of made me realize with this whole whole pandemic that uh, you know there's a lot of charged conversations that you can have on social media with friends and memes and all kinds of stuff that's going around and it just kind of, you know, stepping back and thinking about it, looking at the different numbers that are out there on, on the deaths every year, it kind of made me realize how many people die of the flu every year and to have a little more compassion on those that are, that are immunocompromised. And uh, thinking about, well, how could we do this all differently? Um, and also how important this work is to be protecting people, the immunocompromised from uh, these these wire, these wireless uh, frequencies, the electromagnetic exposure. A lot of these older people grew up in an environment where they maybe didn't have as much. They didn't have nearly as much of this exposure. And there's still some of these older people who grew up in 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 places that didn't even have electricity. So um, just thinking about kind of the irony of that that whole thing, and and just kind of gives me this sense of wanting to have more compassion for a fellow man and also the tragedy of because of what's going on the distancing that we have as well and 
I would love to have a solution to remedy that. Uh, but I'm just going to keep trucking on and doing what I, what I'm doing yeah. best here and helping people. Well, there does seem to be a solution that's been implemented in other countries that seems to be effective and not terribly expensive. And that is just simply wearing a mask. Now, wearing the mask isn't, especially if it's not an uh, N95 mask, is not necessarily going to protect you from getting an infection, but it will, on a, on a community effort, protect you from infecting someone else. And uh, once a country evolves to the point where they're looking at an individual wearing a mask as an idiot to the point where they're looking at someone who's not wearing a mask as an idiot, that may be a critical threshold to pass and really provide the measure of viral isolation or infectious isolation that's required to, uh, to limit the spread of the infection. Just be, so this way you couldn't, could be in public because almost all of the, the uh, infection spreads to these respiratory droplets. Uh, and you're saying, well, the virus is really small. It's going to go through most all masks, even masks that you can make yourself. In fact, we're putting a video on telling, helping people understand how they can make their own, which should air before this, this video. But the, the mask um, catch, catches these uh, droplets that come out when you cough or you sneeze. And as a result of that, that's where the virus is transmitted. So yes, the virus is smaller than the holes in the mask, but the mask collects the, the vehicle that the virus is transmitted from. So it radically reduces it. And there's been whole countries, South Korea being one of the main ones. Um, I think Singapore being another, I might be mistaken on that, that has had pretty radically effective success with these strategies at lowering that. So that may be something that we can implement to uh, minimize this enforced isolation, which I think is so potentially catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, especially with its impact on the economy. So, uh, but if you're interested in implementing some of the strategies we discussed today, Shield of Healing, is the name behind Brian's head, is his company. You can look it up. I think it's just.com. And, uh, you know, he provides services that can help you implement it. Both he's been to my house several times now and Tom Cowan's house, who's the video of his presentation is going to be on this page too. Uh, and if you're watching this on a video that's not my page, you can go to Mercola.com and go use our search engine to type in Brian Hoyer. Because if you use Google to type in my name and Mercola.com and Brian Hoyer, you won't find anything. So you have to go to my search engine on my site, Mercola.com, and you can find this interview and then all the resources that will be there too. Uh, and then we also have the emf.mercola.com where you can sign up and get the free PDF that is about 25 pages. It has a lot more consolidated specific detailed information but if you want the easy way and you know the way that a lot of us have done is just just to hire the company and come out and do the do, do the analysis and implementation so any other closing words i think that about does it i mean All right well, there's there's a lot more that could be said but at this point i think we've covered a lot of ground and hopefully people have gained some insight from the from our conversation here so thank yeah. you all right. Well, thank you for all you're doing and will do. So it's great to connect. Yep. Always.